Today's program is about the world's most significant sentence. Hello, my radio friends. Thank you for joining me today for another in the series, Give Me the Bible. It is my wish that you are well, at peace, and are happy. Then could be hoping too much, perhaps, but because the world we live in is becoming increasingly troubled and unsafe, You know, in many ways we could say that the world we live in is a very hostile environment. Comparatively, though, we're fortunate to live in Australia, especially when you see what is happening in the Middle East, Africa, and some other unstable countries. That being so, have you ever wondered... What is the most significant sentence ever uttered in the history of the world? Here are some of those very significant sentences you may have heard. I love you. Well, that one's good. Hitler is dead. Gentlemen, start your engines. The war is over. Free at last. The drought has broken. Help has come. Welcome. Any friend of his is a friend of mine. And the last one, TB eradicated. I'm sure you could add to that list and provide some very significant headline sentences of your own. But there is one sentence that seems to stand out above all others. Why is it so important? The reason is because it affects the whole of mankind and probably all the beings in the universe. This statement is found in the Bible, in the Gospel of John, chapter 19 and verse 30. The words... This sentence was uttered by Jesus just before he died. He said, It is finished. Many significant statements are said following a period of trouble or deprivation or stress. And that is the case with this statement made by Jesus. So, We have to find out what the it is and how come that it is finished. Now, the it refers to a number of things. They are, one, the sacrifice for the sins of mankind. Two, the battle with Satan. Three, the reign of sin. Four, the Old Covenant. Five, the special relationship with the Jewish nation. 
6. The need for the temple services. 7. Jesus' life here on earth. And 8. The sealing of the destiny of mankind. What the it does not refer to is the holy law of God, the Ten Commandments. They were and are not finished. They will remain forever. Coupled with that statement, it is finished, is probably an equally important sentence, which was a consequence of what happened on the cross. It was spoken by the two angels on the resurrection morning to the women who went to the tomb very early in order to embalm Jesus' body. What the angel said is recorded in Luke chapter 24, verse 6, Mark 16, 6, and Matthew 28, 6. They said, He, that's Jesus, is not here. He has risen. So now, let's go back to the it is finished statement and consider the it parts of what Jesus said. Firstly, there is the sacrifice for the sins of mankind, yours, mine, and everyone else's. Every person who has ever lived, excepting Jesus, has sinned. We're told that in Romans 3.23. It says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Because of our sin, we have forfeited the right to eternal life, which was God's original plan for mankind. The consequence of sin is death. The Bible does not beat around the bush about this. Romans 6.23 says clearly, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. When someone has sinned, it is impossible to unsin, that is, to reverse the situation. Sinning is breaking God's holy law, and it is impossible to unbreak it. By doing good things or by keeping the law perfectly cannot and will not compensate for breaking it. To help understand this, Think of a piece of thread that gets broken. Once broken, it cannot be unbroken. Yes, it is possible to tie a knot in it, and it can be used again, but in reality it is two pieces that have been joined together. Once broken, it cannot be unbroken. Do you remember the old nursery rhyme, Humpty Dumpty? Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. And that's the story about sin. Although Humpty Dumpty was supposed to be an egg, when Humpty Dumpty was broken, he couldn't restore himself and no one else could either. When we have sinned, we are broken, fallen, 
and unable to restore the proper relationship with God. Others can't make it right for us either, as they are in the same fallen condition. The only remedy was for God himself, the one by whose law of love the universe ticks, to come to this earth and take our brokenness and to be broken himself. He took our sins and the consequence of those sins as our substitute. His life for ours. His righteousness in place of our unrighteousness. He forfeited his life that we might have life that is eternal life. One well-known Christian author, E.G. White, has put it this way, Jesus died for us, and now he offers to take our sins and give us his righteousness. If you give yourself to him and accept him as your saviour, then, sinful as your life may have been, for his sake you are counted as righteous. Christ's character stands in place of your character, and you are accepted before God just as if you had not sinned. And that quote is from the book Steps to Christ, page 62. So when Jesus uttered those significant words, it is finished, a few moments before he died, he was announcing that his sacrifice was done. He had paid the price for the whole of humanity. His one sacrifice was for everybody. In the book of Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 27, it points that out very clearly. It says, Jesus sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. And dear listeners, if that's not good news, I don't know what is. So what else did Jesus refer to when he said, it is finished? Ever since the creation of the earth, a battle has been going on. It is a spiritual battle, a battle for the minds and hearts of people. It has been a battle between Christ and Satan. When you read how Satan in the disguise of a talking serpent tricked Eve and Adam into disobeying God's explicit command, Satan has been the ruler of planet Earth ever since. But Satan has established a rule of dishonesty, corruption and deception. Along with that, his is a rule of sin and death. But God made provision to rectify the situation, and Jesus, the second person of the Godhead, came to this planet so that mankind could have eternal life as originally planned. While Jesus was here on earth, 
Satan did everything possible to kill Jesus or to make him sin. But Jesus had never, ever sinned and was therefore never, ever under the control of Satan. When Jesus gave his righteous life for sinful human beings, the battle was ended. Jesus had won the victory over his rival, Satan, the devil. Had Jesus failed, there would never be any possibility of people ever having eternal life. Instead, it would only be eternal death. Jesus provided a way out for us. Those of you who play chess will know that there is one key vital move in a game where you recognise that you will win or lose from that point on. The game may continue beyond that point, but the outcome will depend on that one particular move. When Jesus died on the cross, that was the vital move, the winning stroke. Since then, Satan is still in the business of badness, but he has been defeated. The game, the conflict, is still in progress, but the outcome has been determined. Satan and his evil cohorts will be destroyed by fire, as it says in Matthew 25, verse 41. Then he, that's God, will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. At the time, just before his death on the cross, when Jesus spoke the words, It is finished, the battle had been won, although the conflict continued. Satan knows that he's done for. He's all washed up. But his activities are now concentrated in taking as much spoil as he can. He is furiously deceiving as many people as possible. Revelation 12.12 12 points that out, where it says, Woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury, because he knows that his time is short. We'll have a little break, and then we'll go on after the music.
Another thing that was finished when Jesus uttered those famous words, it is finished, was the old covenant. You see, when God gave mankind his rule of love, the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai, he made a covenant with the people. It amounted to this. If the people obeyed God, he would bless them. If they were disobedient, things would not go well for them. Their response to God's announcement of the Ten Commandments was, We will do everything the Lord has said. And that's found in Exodus 19 verse 8. Their relationship with the Lord depended on how well they kept the requirements of the law. It was based on their performance. In other words, and to use a Bible term, it was based on works. But they failed miserably. God had made provision for their failure, that is, when the people sinned. It is described in the sanctuary service. Basically, what was required to have one's sins forgiven was to take from their small flock of sheep or goats a young male in perfect condition with no defects. It would then be taken to the temple or the tabernacle and with a priest attending, the owner would have to place his hand on the head of that young animal, symbolically transferring his sins to it, and then with a knife had to cut the lamb's throat. The blood would pour out and the animal would die. The lamb's life was given so that the person's life might be saved must have been an absolutely heart-wrenching experience to do this. Not only would the sinner have to sacrifice one of his best lambs, but he personally would have to take his life. The old covenant was performance-based. But how well the people performed in keeping the covenant was just not good enough. The Old Testament prophet Jeremiah announced in Jeremiah 31 that God would make a new covenant. It says this, The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the first covenant because they broke my covenant. This is the covenant I will make with them. I will put my law in their minds and write it in their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. They will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. You can also read this in Hebrews chapter 8. The difference between the old and the new covenant was that the new covenant depended on the performance of the lamb, that is, 
Jesus. He kept the law perfectly, and his blood, his life, was poured out for the forgiveness of sins, including your sins and my sins. Hebrews 9.22 points that out. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission or no forgiveness of sins. The old covenant depended on the people's performance. The new covenant depends on Jesus' performance. When Jesus died, the great curtain separating the holy place from the most holy place in the temple was mysteriously ripped apart from top to bottom. This is significant, as the temple services were no longer required. The sacrificial lamb, Jesus, had given his life for the remission of sins. Hebrews 10.4 tells us that, where it says it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. The sacrifice of animals was an example, a type, showing what was necessary for the forgiveness of sins. It cost the life of no less than God. It is finished, signalled the end to the old covenant and the old temple services. They were superseded by something much better. If you want forgiveness, do you have to sacrifice an animal to take its life and watch its blood drain out? No way. All you have to do is ask for forgiveness. Jesus has paid the price and has done what has been required that we may be forgiven through him. Now, those who claim that the law, that is the Ten Commandments, when uh, were eliminated when Jesus died on the cross, they've got it all wrong. Jesus died because of the Ten Commandments. If God's law no longer exists, then there is no sin. And if there is no sin, there is no need of a saviour. And if there is no need of a saviour, then what's all this fuss about Jesus anyway? The words, it is finished, as well as applying to the end of the old covenant and the other things I've mentioned today, also marks the end of the Jewish nation being God's representative people on earth. On one occasion, Jesus was speaking to the Jewish leaders and he told them a parable about themselves. At the end of the parable, he made it perfectly clear what he was talking about. We can find this statement in Matthew 21, verse 43. He said, Therefore I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. They were in no doubt about what he said, 
because in verse 45 the Bible records they knew he was talking about them. Then at another time, as recorded in Matthew 23, 38, Jesus announced, Look, your house is left to you desolate. He means the system that they were involved in. From the moment Jesus died, not only were other things finished and replaced, but Christians, not Jews, were to be God's representative people on earth. They were to be the ones through whom the knowledge and nature of God was to be spread. So you can see why that sentence, it is finished, is so important. But you may remember in the early part of the program, I said that there was another statement recorded in the Bible which is probably equally important. It was, He is not here. He is risen. Not only did Jesus die in order for our sins to be forgiven, but did you realise that if he had not risen from the dead, everything would have been in vain and religion and belief in Christ totally pointless? The life giver had to take up his life again as a guarantee that we too might have eternal life. He is the first fruits. When Jesus comes again, he will come to give everyone who has put their trust in him that very thing they hoped for, eternal life. I want to remind you what it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. It says, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. On that day when Jesus comes, I want to be one of those who will say what is recorded in Isaiah 25, 9. Lo, this is our God. We have waited for him and he will save us. This is the Lord, we have waited for him, and we will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. What a momentous day that will be to go home to heaven with Jesus, the one who died for me, who died for you, and to spend eternity in his glorious company. But do you realise, dear listener, all of what Jesus did for you will not do you a scrap of good unless you make the choice to have your sins forgiven and live a life that honours our Saviour. I sincerely hope that you will make that choice each and every day. And when the time comes, 
we can fellowship together in the company of God, in heaven, in the presence of God, there will be no more sin, no more heartache, no more suffering, death or trouble. Won't you make that decision to get right with God today? Our time is up. We must stop. But I look forward to your company next time. Until then, I wish you joy, God's blessing and peace.